0: Well, we're moving right along in the second part of our of our series that we have there, Gifts Given by God. I always have to read it because I want to say it wrong every time, even though I put it up, you know. Gifts Given by God. It's the second half of the series. On the first side, we covered motivational gifts. Now we're deep into the gifts of the Spirit, or what we call manifestation gifts. You know, the gifts that are a direct result of our relationship with Holy Spirit, of His presence in our life. And then they result you know, in a number of gifts, a couple of which we have, we have already covered. And, and I, what I love about the gifts is, that it's an, it, in essence, it's the Father God calling us into a place of partnership. You know, Father God doesn't need me to do anything. You know, if he wants something done, he could just speak it and it's done. Boom. Just like that, right? You know, he he asked Job the very question. You know, Job considered one of the oldest books of the Bible, 4,000 some years old, you know. Job, he asked the question, where were you when the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters and I just spoke and what wasn't became? Like, where were you? I wasn't there. I don't know about you. But the reality is that God doesn't need me, but he has called me, see, he doesn't need me, but he has called me into a place of partnership, and part of where we see that is the manifestation of Holy Spirit in the form of the gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12. And one of the things that I love about that is that we become literally become? We always talk about the hands and feet of God, but in this case, we become the conduit of love, you know, of the expression of God's love like from the Father. A conduit is is a is a pipe, you know, flush water through a pipe. He's flushing love through me, my life, onto others, because it says the manifestation of these gifts is for the common good, right? And and as I was preparing this now for and getting my thoughts collected, I, I kind of felt like the Lord reminded me of that perfect love casts out fear, right? And I I felt like God was saying that if we really loved people, if we really loved people, that any supposed fear that we have for connecting with them, reaching out to them, praying for them, or interacting in any other way, all of that fear would have to be trumped by the love that we carry, because love casts out fear. So if we're, to be, if we're truly to be conduits of God's love for others, we kind of have to get over ourselves, don't we? You know? and, and, but it starts with this place of, of relationship with God because I think there's a place in God where we, be, we can become so intimate, so connected with his heart but that we can't, over, we can't help but just to overflow, to bubble out into a place uh, where we respond in love to people even when they're persecuting us. You know, love your enemies, right? How do you do that? You do that because you love God you know and it's only in this place of connectivity only in this place of intimacy that i can truly be the conduit that he's called me to be his expression of love in the earth you know as often manifest through these gifts that are for others so last week quite specifically we talked about a word of knowledge and and the same thing is expressed there i i i adore this gift it's just it's so beautiful because it, it to a large degree The father oftentimes is saying to us when we see this gift in operation, he says, I know you. I know you and I was there. I was there with you. I saw those things. I saw what happened to you. I saw what you did. I saw what you did. I saw the thoughts of your heart, the intentions of your heart. I was present in that place. And here's the best part. No matter where you fell, on whether you were doing rightly or whether you were doing wrongly when the father shows up like that through a word of knowledge what he's telling you is i saw you i know you and i'm still pursuing you see because he stopped everything to share his knowledge with that one person who's engaged you now hey does this resonate with you i feel like you know like wow nobody knows that except god Like, no one on the planet knows that word except for him. You know, why is he doing that? He's doing that because no matter what the result of those situations were, he is now pursuing you with abandon. We pursue him, but he pursues us. He pursues us with abandon. And that's the, I love the expression of these gifts because it's God's pursuit of us, it's God's pursuit of our heart. And that's just a beautiful thing as we get to partner with him. Now the next one on our lift is, uh, lift huh. on, on our list is the is the gift of faith. And I, I laugh at myself a little bit because every time I get into a new gift I think to myself this is the best one, you know? And I'm like this is awesome. Like this is you know and every time I present it to you I'm like this is awesome. You got to have this. That's because you do. So I guess it's plain and simple. <laughs> but the gift of faith obviously is not any different. The gift of faith itself is so incredibly essential in the body of Christ. It's, we can't even we can't function without it. We're gonna read a couple of scriptures that that prove that out. You know, but it's it literally we don't even we can't even get into this love relationship with Jesus Christ without it. It's impossible. He releases a gift to us to even be able to come in and to believe on him for salvation. So it's beautiful. Literally everything is founded upon this one thing. We can't operate without it. It's so essential to the Christian faith that we call it the Christian faith. <laughs> right? It's this this walk of Christ that we have, we call it the faith right? Starts right there in the book of Acts in the New Testament. They've persecuted those of the faith. Why did they call it that? Because everything that we do has, the, has faith as its foundation. It's beautiful. Listen to these couple of scriptures. It in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. And he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's the rewarder of those who seek him. Now, let me just say, not only is this one of my favorite scriptures ever, I have a really, really hard time keeping it bottled up, because I'd like to just preach that for a few hours. You know? (laughs) But let me just give you a snippet, because I can't contain myself, and tell you the reality of this. It says that we don't have the ability to please God, unless through faith we come to him understanding that he is really, really good. You understand? That's what it's saying. Right? We don't even have the ability to please Him unless we believe that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. I'm seeking Him. What's a rewarder? Somebody who's really, really good. The problem with that, and the reason that's such a button for me, is because that in, in our lives we have such a tendency to apply to God attributes that don't exist in His world. You know, all of the, the, all of the pain and the suffering and all the gnarly and awful stuff that we have, the ways of life that come crashing against, we often will say in an effort to console ourselves, well, God must have a reason. God must have a purpose. No, God is the master of working all things for good, but he's not the designer of all the bad, right? right? It's impossible for us to please God unless we come to him expecting that he's really good, Like, we have to come to a place where we first and foremost understand who we're dealing with. Like, what has he said? Who is he? What has life proved out? What does the word say about his character? Like, how good is he really? What does it say? Like, we have to get into that place where we excavate the truth so that those truths so permeate our heart that in any and all circumstances, we can go back to the foundation. We can go, though my circumstances seem to be aligned against me, I know this my God is for me. My God is for me. His plans for me are to prosper me. You know, He has my best intentions and mine and all of this awful stuff. He's going to work every detail of it for my good, for the expansion of the kingdom. Like This is who we serve. We've got to get this deep on the inside of us. I'm telling you, it's only in this place of coming to God in faith and recognizing he's a rewarder. It's only in this place that we have the ability to enter into the life and abundance that Jesus Christ paid for, with his own blood. It's only through this. It's only through this revelation, through this knowledge. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, For in it, it's referring to the gospel, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So there we are again. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. What does it mean to be righteous? It doesn't mean perfect in all your ways necessarily, though we often attribute to that and does have that element. It literally means to be right before God. So this is telling us that if we are going to be right before God, we have to be people of faith. And we're not talking, like, in our culture, we have such a tendency when it comes to faith is that we have this saving faith and we got in, and on some measure, we're living our life by faith. We have this, this relationship with God, but God, I think, is calling us to something so much deeper than just this surface-level faith that causes us maybe to be a little better person and to read our Bibles once in a while and to, to repent once in a while and to try to do good stuff, Right? I think what he's saying when he's saying look the upright the ones who are right before me the ones who are truly right before me they're the ones like Peter They're the ones like Peter who maybe he wasn't perfect in all of his ways. Maybe he had a few rough spots, a few jagged edges that he needed to have, you know, kind of buffeted off of his life just a little bit. But you know, when it came to it and the waves of life were coming and Jesus wasn't in the boat, he was out on the waves, treading on them, walking on them. Peter, something rises up on the inside of him that says, in all of his rightness before God, rises up on the inside of him and says, I think it's possible for me to step out of this boat. I think it's possible for me to be as victorious as Jesus is. I think it's as possible for me to step out by faith into the circumstances of life to engage what's coming to me, but to engage it with faith that says, I'm a victorious overcomer in Christ. I can do all things. Nothing can come against me because God is for me. It's, it's stepping out into a place of the depth of faith. I said first service that it was like the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Or I don't know if that's the right movie, but Indiana Jones, right? You know, he's looking at this chasm that is absolutely impossible to go across. You know? And the only thing that gets him to the other side is believing what he cannot see. It's this step of faith that says, you know what? That looks crazy to me right there. Like, I don't know why anybody would step off and feel like they could walk into the air, but God. Right? He's not calling us to be nominal Christians that try to do good and that someday go to heaven and have a glorious experience with God. He's calling us to be on fire people who have an encounter and experience with God right now, who take him at his word and who step out into the air going, I know that you're really good. I know that you're bigger than I can even understand or conceive of. And I know that you're for me. And I know that you're you you're know that you're watching over my feet, that you have ordered my steps. And I know that I am going to be victorious because you are with me. Like this is the kind, this is what he's saying. This is what, right Righteousness looks like. Like, this is what it looks like to be right with our Father in heaven. It's, I trust you for the grandiose because you are grandiose. Like, I'm so finite, but you are so infinite. I'm willing to step out because this, this is easy peasy for you. Now, Hebrews takes it up a notch. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. We see it reiterated there. And listen to this. And if he shrinks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. I think we have to read those verses very carefully. God's calling us to a greater depth. The upright, this is what they do. The righteous, they shall live by faith. He's calling us into a greater faith. And this says that if we don't come into that place, he's not to be pleased with us. I think there's some gravity and some weight to that. Not that you would come under conviction or, or, excuse me, condemnation. You know, don't let the devil slap you around. He's an idiot. But allow the word to call you into something greater. Are you with me? It should be obvious, I guess, at this point that the topic of faith or faith in our Christianity is, it's a pretty significant topic, right? It carries with it some pretty significant weight. It also carries with it some controversy, of which many of us are probably aware, right? Well, how do you settle controversies? You take it back to the Word, right? You want to know what God has to say about it? Go back and get into your Word. Read it, study it, meditate on it, look for his ways, right? So that's what we're going to do just a little bit today. I've got a number of different scriptures, so you're going to have to set a hook on your seatbelt. You know, in seminary, they taught us that you're only supposed to use like three scriptures a Sunday. I use about 35. So, you know, but I, I endeavored a long time ago that, I, that if I'm going to say something from here, I want you to know darn good and well where it's coming from, you know? So if I oversupport, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So what is faith then? What is this faith that we're talking about? You know, the Bible itself has the premier definition in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Anybody ever read that and gone, what? I've read it about four billion times and every time I read it again, I go, What? And I have to sit and meditate and go, Holy Spirit, teach me your word, you know, because I don't understand the fullness of what it's actually saying. But part of that, I think, is because our definitions are wrong. It's the, our faith is the assurance of things hoped for. For us, hope in our culture, the American word for hope, has has lost its original meaning. You know, the word for us for hope means, well, I, I, I wish that those things would happen, you know, and, and I said first service, my kids hope that they get to go to King Chef on Sundays. You know, but they have no basis by which to sink their teeth into and expect it, you see. Because, well, it's just a hope. It's, you know, there's, there's, there isn't anything that gives me this expectation. I'm just kind of wishing that those, I, I hope one of you wins the lottery and buys a Corvette for me. You know, and, uh, but I have no basis by which to sink my teeth in on that one, right? I can't stand expecting anything. But the biblical word for hope, in contrast, is a confident expectation. So, so faith is a confident Expectation. Faith is a confident expectation, a conviction of things that I haven't seen yet. So I'm standing, I'm not seeing it, but on the inside of me, I'm confident. I, and it says I have an assurance. Assurance simply means that, that in essence, it's like a guarantee. It's like, I assure you that this is going to happen. So faith is this confident expectation that I can assure you that I, because I have faith, this outcome is going to happen. I'm not seeing it right now. But I guarantee you, without beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this will be the outcome. See, that's what faith is. That's what it talks about. Now, if you take that definition at face value, as a as number have, this is where I think we get into trouble. Because if we take that at face value, it almost makes faith sound like it's a force that operates independent of God. So, and, and what I mean by independent is I mean independent of his direct influence. So, it would be likened unto something like gravity. You know, if I were to jump off this platform, how many of you could say you have faith that I'm going to land down there, right? How many of you think, you know, to the contrary, I'm going to hover? I mean, that'd be cool and all. Pray for me, that, you know, but... But right, there's, So there's a, there's a law of gravity that's in place. I don't think that God is grabbing hold of my shoulders and forcing me to the ground. He initiated a law that continues to function without his direct involvement. You understand what I'm saying? So, so some have said, well, because of this definition of faith, then faith itself is... I don't know why it's in that. That faith itself is a force that, op- that, that operates independent of God. It's something that I can employ, whether I'm saved or not, and regardless of whatever my motivations are. So heart motivation, salvation, none of those things matter. If I have faith that I can get what I believe for, right? And so, it, it, again, it doesn't matter even what the for is. It doesn't matter what I'm believing for. Anything that I can believe for, then I can have it. So how many want a Lamborghini. I mean I do, right? So I don't want to have to maintain it, but I'd like to have one. I got two hands in the back. Like I don't want to actually have to maintain it. One of you will have to foot the bill on that. But I just let me just look at it. I just want to look at it in my garage. You know, obviously I, I like I, I like cars. But that's the definition that we come to. It's, it doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter what my heart's motivation is, and it doesn't matter what my relationship with God looks like. I can have everything that I expect. And again, herein lies the tension of the definition that we find in Hebrews. I think as we excavate the Word of God, we find that it says something slightly different. Yes, Lord. We find in John chapter 5, the expression from Jesus Christ himself, and, 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 and with this scripture, I have to preface it by saying this, if, if anybody was going to operate on their own behalf, on their own authority, on their own initiative... Don't you think it would be the Son of God? I mean, Jesus, he was perfect in all of his ways. He was divine. He was the Son of God. He literally comes from heaven and is born in the form of a man. Like, if anybody is going to operate on their own, with their own will be done, with their own strength, their own authority, wouldn't it be Jesus? But we find something weird in John chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So I have to ask the question, if the Son of God, if Jesus Christ himself can do nothing of himself, except for what he sees the Father in heaven doing, why do we think that we can then? If Jesus comes declaring in his earthly ministry, modeling to us how we're to behave, if Jesus says, his own mouth, I can't do anything, I'm connected, what's he saying? In relationship with Father God. And it's from this place of relationship with Father God that I'm able to live and move and have my being. It's from this place of relationship with Father God that I have the authority that I have. That I, that, that I have the ability to move forward. If Jesus is saying that of himself, why do we think that we can operate independent of the Father? I would submit to you my belief is that you can't. It's that you can't, not by design. We have a number of examples in Scripture of the parameters that are placed upon our faith. Find the first one, uh, or at least the first example that I've given in 1 John chapter 5. And starting in verse 14. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> this is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked of Him. Now, there are several clarifiers that we find in this first. First and foremost, you'll see right there in the beginning, it says that we've come before Him. So there's a necessity of coming before the Father, which to me looks an awful lot like relationship. You know The requirement is that I'm coming before him. It means I'm uh, understatedly dependent upon him. I'm coming before him in the place of relationship. I'm communing with him. I'm asking him questions. I'm having a dialogue with him. The second thing that we find is that it says that if we're coming before him, we need to discern his will, right? You can have the request that you ask. That's fine. You're powerful. But what does it say? That we may ask anything according to his will. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. So the second parameter that we find on our faith is that it lines up with God and His intentions. So the first one, we come before Him, so we're establishing relationship with Him. By the way, that's the only place that you can actually figure out what in the world He wants you to do, right? I.e., His will. Your will be done. What is that? Go find it. Go seek His face. Get into your word. You know, we come before Him to establish what His will is. When we pray according to His will, we get results, right? It doesn't say when you pray according to Sean's will, does it? But according to God's will. And then the last thing that it says there, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have made of him, right? The, the, it, by nature of definition, it's suggesting that we are coming to God, firstly in relationship. In relationship, we're discerning his will and then we're asking of him, which means I'm utterly dependent on him for results. See, it doesn't say, "In the will of Sean, you get whatever you want." I mean, there are days I wish that was the case, but I can remember some prayers on some girls in elementary school that I was like, "Come on, Lord Jesus." I was like, "She is so cute. I just you know, I'll do anything for you. Just that one right there. She's so cute, and she's popular, you know? That'd be, that'd be cool. All right. How many of you are pretty glad he didn't answer those prayers that you had in faith? Right? <laughs> he gave me the best looking one of all, so I worked, I worked out. It was good that I waited, you know? <laughs> we come in relationship. In relationship, we discern his will. We pray according to his will. There's power and there's authority that's matched with that to release perfection, to release his will word on the earth. The next one I want to just blast through really quick is in Mark chapter 11 starting in verse 22. We're going to ride that one just for a little while. It says, and Jesus answered saying to them, have faith in God. Have faith in who? God. Have faith in your own abilities. Yeah. Have faith in your name. Yeah. Have faith in your own power and authority. Yeah. Right, no, have faith in God. So it's pretty clear what the context is here. Have faith in God. Verse 23, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. And now we find the second major hurdle to our faith. You know, doubt. Where doubt, well, let me say it this way. Doubt and faith are mutually exclusive. Where doubt exists, faith is not present. Where faith exists, doubt is not present. They're mutually exclusive. They cannot operate together in the same circle, right? So this is saying, if I come, I'm going to come to God, Right? In faith in God, in his infinite abilities, in his will, I'm coming before him. What's that look like? In relationship, I'm coming before God. Then I have tremendous power and authority to even speak to a mountain and see it removed. Out of relationship, I've discerned his will. That's the mountain right there. But don't doubt. Because where doubt exists, faith does not. Verse 24 Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. How do you come to a place in your faith where you have zero doubt? Think about it. Is there anything you've ever had zero doubt on? It's a good question, isn't it? I think the only time we have the ability to come to a place of faith where we have zero doubt is in the middle of relationship with him. In relationship with him, he speaks, I know it's God. It's confirmed in the word. You know, I see I see the precedent of the history of my life and his faithfulness with me. You get to a place where when God speaks to you through his word, personally speaks to you somehow in your quiet time in the morning, you can stand in a place because I know my father. And I know that I heard my father. And I believe that it's only in this place that we have the ability at all to enter into a place of faith, of true faith, that does not have any doubt present. It's through his word. It's in relationship with him. What's that mean? It means it's time to start having your five times again. It means it's time to start reading your Bibles again. It's when you crack your Bibles, it's Holy Spirit, you're the teacher, come teach me. Come awaken me, come awaken my soul to this word there's a place in the beginning sometimes where it's just discipline. You're like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to do this not because I'm trying to be religious, but because I'm trying to be a lover. You know? And, and you know, as, as a lover, the things that are contrary for me to do, I'll just pick on myself. I, I am awful at remembering dates that are coming up, right? You know? It's like, oh, anniversary. Eesh. Right? I suck at it. I'm horrible at it. But you know what? As a lover... I make intentional efforts to go against the grain of my personality so that the one who I'm setting my affections on can be lifted up. You understand what I'm saying? right? There's probably not very many of us in here who studying the Bible and, and waking up at 5 a.m. to pray is, is part and parcel with your personality or the grace that's been given you. right? Sometimes you just have to suck it up and do what's necessary because you're deeply in love with the one who you've set your affection on, Jesus. Are you with me? And it's in this place of establishing that level of race, relationship where we come into a level of right standing. And I'm not talking about your sin issues. I'm talking about a level of right standing that causes you, in spite of your sin issues, to step out of that boat into the ways of life and to conquer everything that's sent to you because you're leaning on a God, the God of the impossible. Amen. Listen to this last one in Mark. So we continue in the same context, listen to this. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will forgive your trespasses. We come to God in faith. I establish beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is extraordinarily good that he is more for me than I ever understood, that this is how God operates, these are his ways, this is what he's going to do. I come to him in a place of faith, in that I discern his will, I have this ability to then, in, in the midst of relationship, to stand on the rock and not doubt, but to expect that what I'm believing for will actually come to happen, will come to pass. And in the midst of all of that, we have the challenge from the Father to say, Make sure your heart is clean. Make sure your heart is clean. See, because it doesn't matter how much faith that you think that you have. It doesn't matter how much you believe in something. I'm standing, I'm believing for this, God. If your life is a mess, if your your relationships with people are all jacked up, if you've got bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, I can guarantee you one thing. It's going to be very, very difficult for you to receive what you have been contending for. We have a warning in Scripture here. God's saying, if you want answers to your prayers, then make sure your relationships are right. It's faith and love, isn't it? It's faith and love. I come to a place where I understand who He is. I have a love relationship with Him that trumps everything and brings me to a place where I believe on Him without doubting for everything. And if I'm doing well here, it will manifest in the relationships that are around me. It will now, let me point out the obvious contrary. If you're continuing to have relationship issues here, it does speak of something not happening right here. We can look real great on a Sunday morning, put on the right clothes and put a big smile on our face. But I guarantee you, if you're seeing relationship issues at home and at work and everywhere, you're else, everywhere, everywhere else that you go, it's indicative of this relationship not being first and foremost and not doing what's, what needs to be happened here. Because if this was right, you would have the grace necessary to extend forgiveness and to walk in a place of love with your fellow man. Something, by the way, we've been commanded to do. Is this making sense to anybody? So what is the gift of faith in in light of all of that? We have a tendency to believe that the gift of faith, and I've got lots of time, so we're good, we're good. (laughs) We have a tendency to believe that the gift of faith is the, the ability to believe for the impossible. I don't believe that's an accurate definition. Rather, I think that the gift of faith is actually to believe that all things are possible. You say, what's the difference? The difference is one presupposes doubt. One says that there are things that are impossible. One says there's nothing that's impossible with my God. You see, and the moment that I believe that there are impossibilities that I'm contending with, doubt has entered the equation, and I don't have the ability to fight with the same fervor and the strength that God has called me to. See, so I believe the gift of faith is actually the ability to recognize that all things are possible. And I would even go so far as to say this. I believe the gift of faith is actually the gift of God's perspective. It's the gift of God's perspective of where we were actually seated. How many of you know in Ephesians it says that you and I, when Jesus was resurrected and went to be at the right hand of the Father, that we were brought with him. That we were seated at the right hand of Christ. That we're there in that place. Positionally, we've been seated in a place of unlimited resource, of unlimited blessing, of unlimited power, of unlimited authority. Like That's where we're seated. And from that place of perspective, we realize there's nothing impossible for me. From that perspective of relationship, I begin to see with God's eyes over my circumstances, over the nation's circumstances, I begin to see from his perspective, and from his perspective, there's nothing that's impossible. There's nothing impossible for God. And I would take it a step further, and I think it's very possible that the gift of faith that we are getting is actually the deposit of God's faith on us. Think about the gifts that we've already talked about. Like a word of, word of wisdom, for example. What is a word of wisdom? It's God's wisdom being deposited on me for others, right? It's not my wisdom. I haven't had enough experience to know that stuff. It's not mine. It's his. What's the word of knowledge? It's God's knowledge being deposited on me for the, for the moment of need. It's not my knowledge. I didn't get it at UCM or seminary. It's his knowledge, right? So then what is a gift of faith? It's his faith being deposited on me for the need of the moment. And his faith says, there's nothing impossible. It's all possible. In relationship, I discern his will. When I have his will, he deposits on me faith to accomplish his will on earth. And from that place, I stand in the midst of an awful lot of naysayers saying that's impossible I can't believe. because our first tendency is to look at all the reasons why something can't work but for you with the gift of faith you don't see what can't work you see with eyes of vision to what will work so I don't need to be bogged down by all the details of why you think this can't happen I through relationship have a word of the lord and his word trumps everything because when he speaks if we're talking about his faith when he speaks He expects that something's going to be created out of nothing. And he puts that kind of faith on me to transform what others think was impossible into something that is very rational, very normal, and very much feasible to you. That is the gift of faith. Now, as we've done every week, I've reminded you the Bible says that we have not because we ask not. Now, if you haven't been convinced that you need the gift of faith, then I didn't do a very good job. (laughs) So everybody in here ought to be posturing yourselves to receive something from God because the Apostle Paul said, earnestly desire. And the good Father said, you can't even please him unless you realize that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Right? So you believe that God actually wants to partner with you. It doesn't matter what your past is and all your baggage and junk is. God still wants to partner with you. You know why? Because he's so infinitely confident in his ability through you that it doesn't matter what lack you bring to the equation. It's insignificant in light of how big he is. Do you see that? And so he's inviting you to the table today to say, partake of this. I have a gift for you. And we're going to do amazing exploits together. It's like, are you ready for that? So, Father, this morning we posture ourselves to say, Would you release the gift of faith over your people that every single person here, Father, would move into a place where they, yeah, where they just speak and mountains are moved. Father, into a place where they've so cultivated relationship with you, they've discerned your will, they've partnered with you, and they have unbelievable authority that they're mighty men and mighty women of God, seeing amazing exploits happen in the earth, whether educated or not, whether coming from the right side or the left side of the track whether white or whether black father we say it doesn't matter because you're bigger than all of that stupid stuff you're bigger than that god and we lay ourselves as an offering before you asking for this deposit so that we could do amazing things together for your name's sake, for your glory god we're asking for the nations today in jesus mighty name amen, amen. god bless